Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSherry. If this is your first time joining me, hello and welcome. Thank you so much for deciding to spend some time with me on this whatever day you're listening. Um, and if you're coming back, thank you so much for returning. We've got loads of great stuff to talk about this week. Um, on my week, how was my week? My week was pretty good. I actually spent uh, quite a bit of time in Collins Barracks over the weekend with all of the St. Patrick's Day festivities, um, which was great I have to say was there for mother on Thursday night that big party which was loads of fun um really good fun I had a great time Elaine May put on an amazing show with loads of different Irish artists it was fantastic I really hope they take that kind of to some of the festivals around the summer I spent the afternoon there with the kids on Saturday they had a great time absolutely brilliant time and then sure I was back there on Sunday or Saturday or whatever day it was um for Pillow Queens so yeah it was great I think uh, St. Patrick's Festival did a great job of organizing good stuff this year and then yesterday I did a great work thing. Um, I was lucky enough, I actually was really honoured to emcee um, the launch event for the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre's new national campaign about consent. It's called We Consent. You can go and visit weconsent.ie. Um, and it's a it's a big, a sustained three-year campaign to kind of raise the issue of consent for everyone, no matter what your age, your sexuality, um, your relationship status, uh, basically kind of trying to, I suppose, diversify the conversation around consent and make it clear that consent can be fun and sexy and it doesn't have to be, you know, a big, serious moment in every sexual conversation. Um, and I got to, uh, yeah, MC the launch event and uh, Minister Simon Harris opened it. And then we had a great panel of people from various backgrounds, experiences and walks of life. And we t- all talked about what we think we can do as a country to try and make progress in the area of consent. And um, 
I think it made me feel really optimistic and hopeful um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So if you want to go to weekendcent.ie, you can see all the work that's being done there. Um, other than that, this week, a new Patreon episode went up, the mailbag episode, where I respond to your voice notes. Also told my road rage story on there, which took 10 minutes. My God, what a story. Um, so if you want that, head over to the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise McSharry. Um, but, you know, we've got actually loads to discuss today, so you might as well get into it. And we will start, as always, with the news. Aoife Moore, thank you so much for being with us once again. Good morning. It's time to talk news. We have to start with, um, I mean, just, I actually don't have the words. Other than COVID, I don't think we've talked about anything as much as we've talked about housing. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And it's because it is literally ruining people's lives on a daily basis in this country. And it feels like nothing is being done about it. Uh, nothing has been done about it when you think about it realistic. If you even look at the... Um housing figures so <clears throat> last night or sorry uh wednesday night the government won um a series of votes on the eviction ban so the eviction ban is due to run out uh on march 31st and over 3,000 um notices to quit have been issued um and people will be basically put out of their homes this is bad in any case but what is making this worse is that there is basically no emergency accommodation left across the country and, and and very little regular accommodation. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so like I was listening to the group chat on the way here and Richard said, I think that there's 31 places up for rent in Cork. Mm-hmm. 31? Yeah. So nuts. There, this was a Sinn Féin motion that was put down and the way the government does it is they table a counter motion. Nessa Hurrigan, the Green Party TD for Dublin Central, and I think it's worth noting that she is the Dublin Central TD and that is where the absolute pinnacle of the housing crisis is is Dublin Central. She had said that due to her principles, she did not feel that she could all in good conscience vote for the eviction ban to end when people in her constituency, I think nearly a thousand people in her constituency have had a notice to quit. Mm. There is nowhere for women and children to go. Um, She abstained on the amendments um, from the regional independent group who put forward a number of amendments um, to the eviction ban ending as did Ian 2 Peter's Patter Tobin, um, none of those passed. Um, and then the counter motion, she voted against it. Um, the government won by fifteen votes, but because Nessa Harrigan voted against um, the government, she was suspended for fifteen months. She was stripped of her chair. She chaired and the Arctis um, Putch Oversight Committee. She's been stripped of that, and um, now the government only have a majority of one. Mm. Um, they ended up having to lean on a number of independents and I think what's interesting is the independents that they usually would rely on people like Michael Healy Ray and Maddie McGrath voted against the government as well mm. they just said that from the implementation of the, the eviction ban and the ending of it now the government had no plan in the meantime mm. they did not use this time appropriately to mm. find other ways so they said that they were voting to extend the ed- eviction ban so that the government could get time to get a plan together. Um, it To be honest, I can see the government side of this because this was a Sinn Féin motion. It was not legally binding. It wouldn't have extended. It was just to get the government on record. But that's what Sinn Féin wanted to do. You know, mm. it's a propaganda tool as well to get the government on record to say, we ended the election and this is what we're going to do. The government argues that homelessness actually went up when the eviction ban was in place and therefore it didn't work. Most housing experts 
and housing charities have said actually the housing crisis would have been a lot worse had mm. the eviction ban not been in place. They've also said that small landlords are continuing to leave the market. So if we keep an eviction ban, they will leave the market. But that doesn't make any sense because if we have an eviction ban, they can't leave the market. Mm. Um, but in a sense, we'll be trapping people and the, the small landlords and the, mm. um, these investments um, that they don't want to be in anymore. Um, for, uh, it ends on March 31st and most people, I was listening to Father Peter McVeary the other day who said that most people will look, especially people, women and children will look to family members to have somewhere to stay. Um, ironically, when you go and stay with family members, you won't be counted as homeless anymore. Mm. It, uh, they said that we are headed for a tsunami of homelessness. I think we are going to see people turn up at yard stations. I think we are going, especially in Dublin City Centre. Um, I think maybe the problem could be kind of mitigated in other counties. It is not going to be able to be mitigated properly in Dublin City Centre. It is coming into high season. It is after Paddy's Day. The hotels are not going to be taking on homelessness contracts. They're just not. They are not a solution to the housing crisis. They are a hospitality business. It is not the hotel's fault. And this means now that the Labour Party are going to put down a motion of no confidence in the government on Wednesday. And everyone will have to vote confidence in this government on Wednesday. If the government loses this vote, which I don't think they will, but if they did, that would spark a general election. You know, what's really frustrating about this is that like, you know, this shouldn't be about politics. Mm. Like we are literally talking about people who are terrified of losing their homes. I was reading Ellie Balfe, who is... um, a journalist and uh, someone I, I kind of have known professionally over the years posted on her Instagram story this morning about herself and her family situation. They have been evicted, no fault evictions, five times in the last 10 years. Jesus. So every time they find somewhere to live, her and her kids, uh, the landlord decides they're going to sell, as is their right, mm. and they have to find somewhere else. But finding somewhere else is a long Impossible. and excruciating uh, process. And she's basically said she's currently, they have at last, after months and months and months, she said over the last number of months, she has literally applied for every single house that became available, even ones that she couldn't afford it, mm. just as an experiment. Yeah. And she came nowhere close, over months and months and months, she came nowhere close to finding something. She has finally find something and has a verbal agreement she's like until she has that lease Mm. like she's terrified and of course you know she's in a position obviously where she can you know whatever she's been lucky enough to find places over the years but like what kind of life is that for someone to have to worry constantly constantly Constantly. that's what they always say as well like the housing is one thing the health crisis the health crisis this is uh, you know, creating like we know that children brought up in hotels don't develop like all our children. They speak um, later in life. You know, they are brought like they have serious mental health problems. It's a type of trauma. It has ruined happier relationship. It has caused divorces. It's just, and and I guess the point that I'm making is that I find it frustrating for <sighs> to think about politicking in the context of this situation which is life and death for people and yeah and last night I was on the tonight show and Claire Brock um the presenter asked Claire Coran the Sinn Féin TD for Ross Common um if this was a political loss for Sinn Féin and you know Claire Coran said well I don't really she doesn't say it the way I'm going to say it but she said I don't really give a shit about political losses Mm. she said the eviction ban is a loss for people who are going to be evicted during leaders' questions, uh, Leo Veragher downplayed Sinn Féin's narrative and said, you know, 
that Champagne were scaremongering that it wouldn't be 3,000 people who were evicted onto the street immediately. And he's probably right. But I would also question, well, what is enough? A thousand people. But also, okay, let's say Sinn Féin are scaremongering for political reasons. Why? What about all the housing charities? Why mm-hmm. are they all saying this is going to be a disaster? Why is every housing expert in the country saying it's going to be a disaster? Like, are they scaremongering? I find it really strange as well. And like, I'm not a politician. I would quite like to know... Yeah, they all have their briefing notes, but I was on the Tonight Show last night with Niall Collins, who's the Fianna Fáil TD for Limerick, and he said that the government's housing plan is working. And I would just love to know, do they actually believe that? Mm. Because I'm not saying this as, you know, a political journalist or someone who has a vested interest in hating the government. I don't care about the government. It's not working. Anyone can see it's not working. Housing, homelessness goes up every single month. You've been at this. Fina Gale have been at this for 12 years. It's not working. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's like a political inertia or something that like, or a cognitive dissonance where you can't admit that you've done something wrong because then you might lose yeah. in the elections. But by the looks of it, they're going to lose in the elections anyway. It's wild. It's wild. And it's... I don't know. I don't have the words for it. It's so upsetting. And and I can completely understand if people feel hopeless in the context of it because it does feel like that sometimes. Um, there are people obviously working hard and campaigning and, you know, really trying hard to make a difference here. So don't give up hope. Um, but but I, if you're frustrated, I absolutely feel that with you. Okay, let's move on. There's been this horrible conversation over the last week or so mm-hmm. about trans people in prison, which has all come from one case, a case of Barbie Kardashian. Yeah, so for the background for this, um, a 21-year-old transgender woman was sentenced um, last week to a five-and-a-half-year prison sentence for being um, threatening to kill or cause serious harm to her mother. And four charges of threatening to kill or cause serious harm to one of her social workers. Now, the judge himself said that this was one of the most complex cases he had ever dealt with in mm. his career. He said that her psychi- her psychiatric and probation reports um, show a really complex background. And this is what you will always see all the time. I have been a court reporter for years People don't get up one day and decide that they're going to start threatening to kill people. Mm. This person has had a very traumatic life. Mm. So they said, the judge said that her complex background from her childhood through to her adulthood made for chilling and disturbing reading. She had difficulties at home when she was taken into foster care at a really young age, um, a residential facility for high risk and vulnerable children. And then she was kept after her 17th birthday which is not really the norm but there was nowhere in the state to meet her complex need Mm -hmm. and then she stayed there until she was 19 and then she was taken to Limerick prison honest to god if there is nowhere in the state for someone's complex need I do not think that the right place for them then after that is prison um, the court acknowledges, he said, the, the, the extremely complex background of the accused who at this stage must be regarded as a vulnerable person. The Giarda said they had grave concerns about her movements and that she still had motivation to carry out threats and she is currently in solitary confinement in Limerick Prison. Now, Simon Harris, who is now the Justice Minister, this was sparked because um, a website sent someone along to a press conference who asked the question about whether transgender women should be in women's prisons. This is an incredibly toxic debate that we Mm. have um, adopted or adapted from what happened in Scotland with Nicola Sturgeon. Now, 
Um, the Minister for Justice was actually a bit more robust um, than the Taoiseach was. Um, I'm not going to go into what the Taoiseach said, but the Minister for Justice said that um, all the policies, the new policy um, for regarding transgender people in prison is going to be informed by best practice. So the Irish Prison Service is due to finish their policy this year because there had been a report that there wasn't actually any protocol for how to deal with transgender people in prison. Mm. So the last report said that... um, yeah, a 2016 report, God, that's so long ago, yeah. said there was no policy in place regarding the treatment and accommodation of transgender prisoners and there is clearly a need to address this. Yeah. And they said that transgender people in particular face particular challenges in prison. They're not easily accommodated with the strict binary gender structure of most prisons. And there are recurring concerns about prison placement policies. Yeah, what about non-binary people? Exactly. And the right to gender expression, the use of gender-specific policies such as body searches. Mm. Um, They're also, and I think this is something we really need to remember, transgender prisoners are also at a particular risk of assault and victimization as a result of the culture of violence and hyper-masculinity that exists in male prisons. They also talked about the sincere concern that they have for transgender women, especially in male prisons. So... This is one case. Mm. It is being whipped up by people who do not care mm-hmm. about people in prison. Mm-hmm. And they do not care mm-hmm. about transgender people. I absolutely believe that if someone is dangerous and people, including prisoners, need to feel safe. But everyone, let's Simon Harris said, it will be carried out on a case-by-case basis yeah. and it will be risk assessed. We cannot have someone in solitary confinement for a long period of time. It is cruel and unusual punishment. We're not supposed to be doing it anyway. Especially someone who was kept in residential care. Because there was no one else for them yeah. in the state. And this person has complex needs. She has a chilling background of childhood trauma. And she's currently in solitary confinement in prison. Do we think that that's going to make her better? Well, no, obviously not. But uh, but I mean, even just when you take it down to this, you know, pretense for concern for prisoners, like what Simon Harris said is the key. You know, if it says when we look at the prison population, the most important thing for the Irish Prison Service to do in any scenario is ensure the safety and well-being of all prisoners. If there is a prisoner who is in any way a risk to the prison population, measures are put in place to make sure that the person does not mix with that prison population. So there is no need to be concerned because everyone who goes into prison is assessed in terms of what their impact on the prison mm-hmm. population is going to be. So this like pretend also, fear is just these so people, frustrating. Most of these people who are worried about women in prison are the same people who want people locked up and thrown away in the key for dealing drugs or stealing yeah. a pint of milk. But also the la- it's the language that's being used and we're not going to repeat the language. No. But the because language the question, that's being used the is that so was asked the incendiary. Teacher, yeah, the question, that's when I am not repeating it. The question yeah. that was asked of the Taoiseach was incredibly loaded and he did not yeah. answer it properly. No, you he can didn't. look it up if you want to see it, but I'm he not didn't. repeating it here. No, I and I agree. But it was I personally I was really disappointed. So was I. In the same like week that I think it was like Out magazine or Advocate magazine or whatever one of those gay magazines was yeah, like I put him as like one yeah, of those inspirational like, gay people. Inspirational gay Irish people for St. Patrick's Day and it's like, well, and then this week he, I think he if he doesn't regret it, I think he should. I think it's very clumsy um if not he I hope he does regret it. Yeah. Hopefully he regrets it. Hopefully he's like that was I just mm-hmm. I fucked that up. We all fuck things up sometimes. Mm. Um, okay, let's talk. <laughs> I do have... We do have a good one. We do, we do have, have a good, good story one. coming, guys. So just stick with us. Stick with us. But let's talk about um, this news regarding uh, a study about stalking in Ireland. 
Yeah, so the study was carried out by University College Cork and the most stark um, result from it was that over 50% of people who had been stalked did not go to the Gardaí. Mm-hmm. Uh, 42% of people did not report incidents, experiences that were said to be more negative than positive. Um, and they said that respondents to the survey reported being threatened, physically attacked and sexually assaulted. They said they received inappropriate texts, WhatsApps, emails, while a high proportion of the targets were inappropriate social media contact as well. In the majority of cases, perpetrators of stalking and harassment were known to the victims. However, the research also found that in a considerable portion of cases, the perpetrator was categorised as a stranger. Over two-thirds of the respondents indicated that the perpetrators threatened them harm or those close to them. Having pictures or recordings taken without consent was mentioned 270 times, mm. with 170 reports of private ma- images of a very personal nature being shared. Um, there was more than a 1,000 per- participants and over 892 individuals. The report was based on, and a, m- m- they reported significant financial impacts and said they suffered long-term psychological distress. Now, this research was taken after... Una Ring and Eve McDowell, absolute legends, mm-hmm. two women who had been stalked and campaigned to make stalking its own standalone offence in Ireland with Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers. Mm. If you haven't seen their story, they were on the Late Late Show. They are incredible women. Yeah. Um, both went through seriously, almost fatal incidents um, and managed to change the law in Ireland um, for other people. So one of the authors of the report, Dr. Kira Staunton, said... They, there was a range of avoidance behaviours used by victims to protect themselves. Um, that can be, you know, changing the way they go to work, making their profiles private. The financial distress comes from people then install CCTV out of their own pocket, mm. that sort of stuff. Um, but also, I think what the most worrying thing is, is that most people didn't go to the Gardaí. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They said that, that they're they kind of trying to take they, care of it themselves. They didn't feel like it would be taken seriously. They thought, and sometimes in their own heads, they were overreacting. Like if you, um, Eve actually did an episode of the Talking Bollocks podcast mm-hmm. last week where she talked about the initial stages of her stalking and she worked um, in Galway and she was sort of joking with her friends. Like she went for lunch at, during work and at one point she was like, oh, Jesus, he'll be back again. And he walked past, you know, the window with the cafe. Like she was joking about it at first and then it became a real yeah. um, issue. And they said that, yeah, they didn't report because they didn't appreciate what had happened to them it was actually a crime and currently a crime under the offence of harassment. And they are now hoping that this shines a light on Stalking as a standalone yeah, crime and that people are um, more encouraged do do come forward and not and do take it seriously? I always think with stuff like this, you need to go with your gut. Yeah. Um. And I think women, especially, and men are stalked as well. But I think women, especially, are very likely to say, "I'm overplaying it and being dramatic." Yeah. Sure, we've all done that. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily with stalking, but with like, oh, it's, it wasn't that big a deal. And then you tell a friend a story five years yeah. later, and they're like, uh, "That's a big deal." Yeah. Even as like a single woman in yeah. Dublin in the last year I have had a number of experiences where I have been like oh it's probably not the big deal and then I tell you the story yeah. and you're like oh no so we're deleting him <laughs> just for the record um okay now what is going on with Donald Trump he's is he gonna be arrested statement for the fucking ages what is going on with Donald Trump ironically the thing you think he's gonna be arrested for is not what he's being arrested for so he 
he produced the most unhinged social media post I have ever seen since Brian McFadden offered to fight ISIS. Um, <laughs> A classic for the ages. Yeah, he said last week that he expected to be arrested on Tuesday. Tuesday came and went and he was not arrested. He currently lives at Trump Tower and it is the Manhattan District Attorney that is apparently pressing charges. So the charges are related to a hush money probe where he paid off Stormy Daniels, mm. an adult entertainment star who he was having an affair with. His solicitor, Michael Cohen, has already publicly admitted that he paid off Stormy Daniels with Donald Trump's say-so. He has already done time. Mm. Um, he, the unhinged post on his own social media um, company said it was um, the corrupt and highly political Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And then in capital letters, protest, take our nation back. Um, there had been real concerns then in New York. They were erecting barricades around Trump Tower. There was additional police forces put out onto the street because we know what happens when Donald Trump tells people to take the streets back. Exactly. Which he hasn't been arrested for either. They said that um, the Manhattan District Attorney was out on the news during the week and said, like, you, we, we won't be threatened by Donald Trump or anyone else. The only other thing, as I would say, is that New York is a really, really, really democratic city mm. and a really democratic state. So the notion that like people would come out in their thousands to protest for Donald Trump, it's probably not going to happen. Well, the Republicans, they like to travel. Yeah. So, Especially the MAGA ones. Oh, yeah. Get them frequent flyaways. Um, so the, yeah, the grand jury's proceedings were called off on Wednesday, which is now going to delay the indictment, but it is highly likely that he is going to be indicted because paying off someone... Um, we campaign funds for political purposes. Not good. Is illegal. Okay, we'll watch with interest. Now, let's talk about the giant rabbit. Yes. <laughs> this is crazy. This went on for longer than I, I thought it would. Like, so <sighs> the DSPCA issued a call during the week. Has anyone lost their giant stray rabbit? Now, if if you have not seen this rabbit, no, you need to you need to Google the rabbit. It's a Flemish giant rabbit. Like when we say giant rabbit, it's you might size, be thinking the size of I don't know a small dog. No, no, this is like a, this a is medium huge. dog. I would be terrified if I saw this rabbit. <laughs> I would be terrified. So they this rabbit her. could bite your hand off. A hundred percent. So they nicknamed her Queen Maeve. Um, and she was found, um, yeah, in, in Mulhuddert. In Mulhuddert. And she was settled in uh, Rathfarnham. So she was enjoying her new surroundings, they said. She's been very good and was very happy for the vets to examine her. So she's not an angry giant rabbit. She's just... Yeah, but you big... wouldn't know that if you just yeah, came across true. her. Just... You know what I mean? So Flemish giants are the largest breed of domesticated rabbit and can weigh up to 10 kilos with an average weight being around 7 kilos. I am not going... I don't like to guess anyone's weight. This... Lady, that does not look like 10 kilos. This lady is more than 10 kilos. Like, I she lift, has to I be. can lift 10 kilos with one hand in the gym. This and look, is more. We love a fuller, fuller figured woman around here. Like, this is not judgment. Just, she's fucking huge. <laughs> like, her feet are the same size as my hands. Like, <laughs> I, like, like, I would be, truly, if I came, I would be like, am I in labyrinth? Like, what <laughs> is going on? She's huge. And the fact that she was just, like, randomly wandering around. Yeah, so they, because it is, I know it sounds insane because she's so big um but she is a domestic they are a domesticated um rabbit so it went viral obviously like it was all over the news i've seen it in like you know websites in america like everyone's talking about it um they have described 
Queen Maeve in the newspapers is the size of a small dog. No. Uh, if, if, if so, that picture is lying. So if by any chance you don't read the news, but you listen to catch up and you are missing your giant rat dog rabbit, you need to go to the DSPCA in Rathfarnham <laughs> because she's over there. Sorry, like if you lost your giant rabbit, would you not be looking for her? Like, also, would you not be on to the DSPCA and being like, look, any chance? Maybe they're embarrassed because how does one lose a rabbit so giant? I feel like they <laughs> are intentionally yeah. not. I think they were like, Maeve, this is a housing crisis. <laughs> You're not paying rent. <laughs> You've got to go. Because she looks like she'd eat you out of house. It's the Cosy lives. Cosy lives. <laughs> like, she. Because wow. I'd say Queen Maeve. I'd say she eats a good butt too. Like that wouldn't be. Oh yeah. So Cosy Loves, I'd say they're just not. By the way, endorsing this behavior. Oh, absolutely, absolutely not. unacceptable. We don't abandon yeah. our pets. If you can't look after the pet, give it to DSPA. So don't yeah. leave her like no. cutting exactly. around Mallard. Exactly. <laughs> Maeve, we hardly knew you. I hope <laughs> I hope you're being well cared for, and um, and and they find a new home for you because Maybe. I do not think those owners are coming back. I wouldn't, I I am a, a complete bleeding heart, but I wouldn't take her in like. I, I would, it would not be for me that life, no. no. Um, if you are listening, Maeve's owners, I do not mean uh, to denigrate you under any circumstances. I, I just simply can imagine the responsibility of a Flemish giant rabbit would be immense. <laughs> okay, um, on that note, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks a million, Aoife. What a joy it is to be with you. She's, we've lost her. We've lost her. We'll speak again. Last September, the world watched as the women of Iran took to the streets to protest after 22-year-old Masa Amini died in the custody of the country's morality police after being arrested for a so-called improper wearing of her hijab. Since then, the protests have not stopped as Iranian women fight for freedom and equality despite the fact that there have been many arrests and even more recently, the mass poisoning of schoolgirls. I've been honestly just so deeply moved by the videos of young women taking a stand in Iran and I really wanted to learn more about what's happening there and also kind of I guess remind ourselves that this is ongoing um, and to learn a little bit more about how we can support them. Sheila and Yusufi Zada joined me this week to give us an update and tell us about what's being done in Ireland to support women in Iran. So I guess we'll start maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in Dublin and um, and maybe some of the work that you've been doing to support people in Iran. Um, Sure. So I actually moved to Dublin uh, 20 years ago in July of 2003. Um, I moved here with my family when I was 12. So the beginning of my teenage years and I've lived in Ireland since. Mm -hmm. um, So I can very uh, strongly say that Ireland is probably home at this stage. I've lived here longer than I lived in Iran. Um, But there's always that like connection to, you know, your home country and when you come where you come from and you you always try to um, keep that connection. And so throughout my life, that connection has had different shapes or forms. Um, At some stage, I was, you know, doing um, activities with Amnesty International, trying to raise awareness about political prisoners. Later in life, I got more involved with the community, trying to kind of celebrate our cultural heritage, including Nowruz, which is Persian New Year. Um, Which was this week, right? 
It was actually on Monday. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it it it's it falls on the spring equinox, mm. um, which this year was on the twentieth of March. Mm. Um, and so I was always kind of involved with trying to um, promote and raise awareness about Iranian culture in different shapes or forms, until the events of last September following the death of you know 22 year old Mahsa Gina Amini in Tehran um following her arrest by the morality police uh where um she was beaten up and and unfortunately she died in hospital mm-hmm. and so that triggered like a huge movement not just in Iran but like across the world where Iranian people were just like angered as to why a young you know 22 year old girl should be killed for not wearing the hijab properly. And, mm. and I and I think there was like, it was almost like a burst of all these other things that have been happening in Iran for the last 43 years, all the yeah. injustices, the fact that women are not treated equally by, by the Iranian law when it comes to marriage, divorce, custody, this just erupted that. And mm. so in Dublin as well, you know, even though we were a relatively small community of a couple of thousand mix of students, people coming here for work and families like my own family who've lived here a long time, you know, we were also equally angered. So the community here were very much united. They they started to gather um, on O'Connell Street almost every week, um, every weekend on Saturdays to, you know, share their, their frustration and try to raise awareness about what was happening in Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has continued since September, believe it or not. Wow. It's six months now. And we have continued to have those gatherings on O'Connell Street. On a couple of occasions, we've joined in with other forces. So a couple of weeks ago, there was um, the, the March on Women, Women yeah. Rights Day with Rosa. So we joined in that movement as well, which was just amazing to see other women also stand up for the movement in Iran, the women life freedom movement in Iran. Um, we joined in with the anti-racism march as well mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. So we're really trying to show that, you know, we are also a part of like the Irish community and the fabric of Irish life. Yeah. And yet we also want to make sure that the, the women in our, our country are not forgotten about at the, and that we all try to raise awareness about the women in our country. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that has also led to, you know, obviously protest is one approach um, to raise awareness. We have also tried to lobby with Irish government uh, and, and to try to get politicians to come on board. Um, there are a couple of uh, well-known politicians who have been very supportive of the campaign. Um, and then recently as well, coming to Nauru's, um, we decided to take a different approach and try to incorporate like Persian food and that aspect of our culture, which maybe is more relatable for some people than mm. talking about protests and whatnot. And um, so we joined forces with a campaign called Cook for Iran, mm. which was actually started uh, November of last year. It's it's a global campaign. Um, and the idea of Cook for Iran is to try to bring to people together through food, which we all love. Um, it's a shared interest for many people. Mm. And to use that as an opportunity to talk about Iran and raise more awareness about what's going on and as you mentioned to ensure that like you know the news has kind of died nobody is really talking about Iran anymore mm. while the movement is still ongoing maybe not to the same extent because with the arrest and the protest and and uh, the sentences uh, including execution sentences that some people have gotten you know people are a little bit more hesitant to be out there mm. but 
underneath there is still movements going on and, and, and different things happening in Iran. So that's another thing we're doing today, actually this evening on Thursday, we're doing a fundraising dinner um, at Denj Persian restaurant in Ratgar. They've kindly agreed to be the first restaurant to collaborate with the Cook for Iran campaign. And the idea is that the funds that we raise through this fundraising dinner is actually going to um, an organization based in the US called the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. And they actually have a, a trauma relief program where they are training people on the ground in Iran remotely. So these people could be psychologists, therapists, teachers, uh, community leaders, so that these people can, can support people in their community with the trauma that these people have faced. If you think about the arrest, the, the people that have been uh, put into prison, even their families have gone through a lot of trauma. Absolutely. And I think it's equally important to support their mental health to ensure mm. that they can continue this fight. So this amazing organization in the U.S. is providing this uh, training as well as emergency trauma support for Iranians that need it remotely. And so we're fundraising for them to ensure that they can expand these services as much as possible to, to service people in Iran, because there isn't much else we can do from mm. abroad, but ensuring that the Iranian people are able to, you know, stay strong and, and continue this fight is, is the best that we can do at this stage. It's so impressive. I, I am blown away. But also when I think about it, I suppose not surprised because, you know, I can only imagine. I mean, I when I read about what's happening to women in Iran, I'm upset and I feel angry and powerless and frustrated. So I can only imagine if you are Iranian, like how you would feel, you know, to be far away and, and know that that stuff is happening. And as you say, it's a culmination of, you know, death decades of, of issues around women's rights. Um, but but as, as I said, and as you said, it's hard, I think, for people to stay engaged if they're not being updated on what's going on, which is, which is really the main reason I wanted to speak to you this week, because, you know, this has not stopped. These problems have not stopped. And in fact, in some ways, they've gotten worse. Um, so maybe give us a little update for people on what is happening at the moment, because, you know, the the big thing that that caught my attention again is this matter of poisonings that are happening to uh, female students and teachers. Yeah. So over the last few months, there were like multiple reports of schoolgirls, you know, suffering from uh, nausea and and uh, diarrhea and different issues like that related to uh, mild poisoning. And so as of March, there's been reports of like over a thousand schoolgirls in different parts of Iran, not even like within the same yeah. city, in different cities suffering from similar symptoms, having to be taken to hospitals. Um, and so like no one has taken accountability for this, um, but there are many different um, you know, theories around what may be going on. Some people think that this is kind of like an extremist response to the protests that have been led by women and girls. And, and a huge part of the protests were actually led by schoolgirls. Yeah. Schoolgirls who were going out in their school uniform, taking off their headscarf or, you know, taking pictures in the schools, chanting women like freedom. It, it was very much like a huge part of this movement was very much like youth led. And so I think this is a way of like repressing the schoolgirls who have played an important part in the movement. And it's worrying because, mm. you know, Iran has always had this kind of like positive um, reputation for actually being very pro-education for women. And actually by 2011, um, the stats showed that like there were 
the women outnumbered the men at university campuses, which is amazing. Yeah. It showed that women really like were, you know, taking education as a mean for empowerment. Yeah. And the government was allowing this. So even for us, it's a surprise that it's almost like what you might see, you know, the Taliban doing in Afghanistan mm. to suppress women's education. So it's not really clear, you know, what's going on, but it is equally worrying. And, and there are many footage footage of parents obviously being super concerned you know outside of schools trying to get in and the the schools are not letting them in the the school to see their kids yeah or they're asking the principal like what is the justification and no one has any answers so again it, it you know you think about like the future generation and these are these young women and potentially they are now afraid to go to school to be mm. educated and, and that's just really sad to see you know in in, in this day and age um and, you know, even though we're not hearing about these things, there's also these reports about the amount of protesters who have lost their eyesight because of the pellet guns that were used during the protest. And now that the reports have all been kind of like put together, there is even, you know, um, speculation that these were targeted, that that the people that were um shooting at the protester were on purpose targeting their eyesight because you know losing an eyesight is probably a much more traumatic experience and it almost like teaches you not to go to a protest because you don't want to be disabled for the rest of your life yeah. and so what's really amazing is seeing footage of these young people who have lost their eyesight for life saying they don't regret that they went to these protests saying that they are actually happy that they're able to now pass on the message and raise more awareness it is just like inspiring for oh. for me to see how people can can live with this and get over it and still want to continue it, it is just like you know really really inspiring oh i have found it so moving to see the passion and commitment and power of these young women who seem so unafraid when they would have every right to be terrified like i read last week about or maybe it was even this week about five teenage girls who danced on TikTok to calm down yes. the Selena Gomez in yeah, yeah who then were arrested and you know there's been all kinds of question marks over what's happened to them since like you know and yet teenage girls are storming out of their schools and ripping off their headscarves and and it nothing seems to be dissuading them and it is so powerful to see yeah, and I think that's why it's important to continue to raise these stories, because yeah. even though we might not see like mass protests anymore, it's now these small movement and, and these teenage girls, you know, to what I, I read, they were forced to make a forced confession on yeah. TV to say that they regret that they did this. But actually, in response to their dance, many other women are now using the same song and the same dance move and creating videos and sharing on social media in solidarity. Yeah. And so a very small like action has now created a ripple effect and many, many more people are potentially like hearing about this. Yeah. And so all these things are, are going on and, and that's why it's super important for us to highlight because again, I mean, I think that like these these women are just so fearless. I wish I was like them. I know, <laughs> I me too. I never live up to what what they're doing, and I think for them, it's it's going to be a long fight. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm optimistic that you know the women, the men, the people of Iran will get their freedom, the justice, and and the happiness that they deserve to live a happy life in a safe country peacefully. Mm. But it's gonna take time, mm. and. I think what's important is that we look back and see what can we do from yes. Ireland? What can we do from Europe 
because all we can do is empower these people. And, and there are many ways to empower them. You know, we can use our power in the European Parliament to, to lobby the European Union, to ensure that the correct organizations within Iran are sanctioned. There was a huge campaign going on over the last few months to um, add the IRGC, which is the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. So they're a branch of the Islamic Armed Forces. They are, have been known for committing lots of acts of terror, including um, shutting down the Ukrainian plane at the end of 2019. Again, this is something people may not have heard about or may have forgotten about. Um, but this plane was leaving Iran. It was carrying many passengers, Iranian, Ukrainian, all kinds of nationalities. There were 176 people on this plane. And this plane was shut down by the government, supposedly because they thought that it was, I don't know, some sort of... Um, missile, not a passenger plane. And so no one took accountability. The, the families of these passengers have still not received any sort of compensation or support from the Iranian government. And again, this was an act of terror by the IRGC. So one of the big push that we are putting on European Parliament is to make IRGC a terrorist organization. They have accepted different levels of, of approval to do this, but then every European country needs to also adapt this within their own country's rules. So mm -hmm. Ireland will need to adapt this. Uh, UK will need to adapt this. So that, that stage hasn't reached yet. Mm. Additionally, Irish uh, government is planning to reopen its embassy in Iran, which I think at this time is a really bad decision. Uh, okay. It's been closed for at least 10 years. Uh, there's been no embassy in Iran. I don't see why we would want to reopen an embassy in the midst of all this that's been happening. It's just giving Iran almost like an okay to say, we're okay with what you're doing. We're yeah. just going to open our embassy. And also we have an Iranian embassy in Ireland, which is opening and it's functioning. And again, there are, there are, there's room to show, um, to the Iranian government that we are not okay with what's going on mm. by potentially closing the embassy here um, and taking a stronger stance. You know, yeah. there's been conversations in Lancer House. Um, the, the Taoiseach has spoken about Iran, has shown solidarity, but there's been no concrete action. It's just been words. We haven't seen anything more than what he said. Yes, I, I condemn the protests. I condemn the execution, but what's the next stage? Yeah. So if anybody's listening to this podcast, my ask to you is, you know, if there's going to be elections coming up, please ask your local TDs, your local councillors, uh, your local MEPs, what's their stance on Iran? Why do they want to open the I Irish embassy? Do they see any value in that? Do they not think that now is actually the time to stand for the people of Iran mm. rather than to try to create relationship with a government that is corrupt, that, that's, you know, essentially putting pressure on its people, oppressing its people. Mm -hmm. So those are just yeah. some quick action things that I think the listeners uh, can take up. And also to to really like put yourself in the shoes of these these young people. It doesn't matter where they come from. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter if they're Iranian women. At the end of the day, we should all stand for other women in the world and help empower them and ensure that they benefit from the, the same rights and freedoms that we have here. Yeah. And so I think let's try to like forget the nationality and the identity and just from women to women, try to support and help each other yeah. um, and empower these people to hopefully be able to get the, the rights that they're seeking. I totally agree. And I have been thinking this week, there's this um, 
I don't even know, and I'm going to butcher it because I don't speak Irish, but uh, there's this this phrase that has just been, it keeps coming into my head. And I don't know, is it originally an Irish thing, but it's Ni Saoirse Go Saoirse Naman, which is there's no freedom until the freedom of women. And, and that's how I feel. And when I was reading about what was happening, you know, and about the power of these young women and they're just utter defiance. It is so inspiring and, and they deserve all of our support. And, you know, none of us will be free until we're all free. And that's the reality of it. So exactly. I cannot thank you enough, Sheila. And you are amazing. Thank you so much for, for giving me your time. I know it's a busy week. You have that big event tonight. Um, yes. And I really hope that lots of people support. If people want to come and join you on O'Connell Street, is that something you'd be open to? Of course, we're we're always looking for like non-Iranians mm. to join us as well. Like anybody who wants to join, they're they're we're, they're more more than welcome. Mm. I would say the best place for them to stay up to date with all kinds of events and activities that we're we're organizing is an Instagram account mm. account called irish iranians um so this account is managed by a couple of people that i know really well and we try to ensure that all of our activities and events are are posted there so they can definitely have a look there to see when is the when is the next event just one thing i wanted to add as well and this is something that i i only noticed when i was at the women's march a few weeks ago is is the slogan of the whole movement that we have in iran which is moment life freedom Mm. when you think about this it's like such a universal slogan Mm. it doesn't even have to represent just the movement in iran it just represents like women overall Mm. that that we are you know we are like an important part of the fabric of the world and not only should we have a place in society and family but also like in political leadership yes so i just wanted to finish on that and i think that like a woman came to me an elderly irish woman and she told me that you know when i was writing my christmas card last year i wrote i finished a card with the slogan woman life freedom and i thought this was such a beautiful way for her to to say that she connected to this yeah. slogan even though she's not from iran oh i love that thank you for adding that thank you so much and you know well done on your commitment to this it's really impressive life is tough life is busy and you know you would be forgiven if if you guys weren't there every Saturday but you know your commitment is really outstanding and I hope I can make it down some week to join you thank you so much thank you so much for having life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Me. Lots of Irish stuff this week in the entertainment stories. Uh, first of all, Miriam O'Callaghan withdrawing from the Late Late Show race. And then there's the question of the continuation of Dancing with the Stars. And also some non-Irish stuff like Gwyneth Paltrow, Bone Broth and Edible Biodegradable Glitter. Well, podcaster Kian Sullivan, it is such a delight to have you back. Um, how's things? How's Drag Race going? Oh. I completely have dipped out of it. That's all right. Yeah, no, it's keeping, well, it's wrapping up now. Season 15 is wrapping up. Yeah. And no mention of the next season, which brings me joy because it means I get a few weeks off. Yeah, for a while there, it was insane, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kian, of course, presents Sissy That Pod, which is a RuPaul's Drag Race uh, recap podcast. It's mm-hmm. excellent. Um, I haven't listened in a while because, as I say, I just, I've fallen off. I'm behind on Housewives. Yeah. I keep saying this, but like, I'm behind on everything. That's the canary in the gold mine, really, isn't it? Honestly, like it's a real indicator of how things are going. <laughs> Not well, bitch, uh, to quote the housewives. Um, okay, we've got lots to talk about in the world of entertainment this week. Let's start with Gwyneth Paltrow. So, yeah. lots of chat about her. Exactly. So, I guess the bigger story is that Gwyneth is in a Utah court in a civil case in which she is being sued by a Mr. Sanderson who alleges that when Gwyneth collided into him on a ski slope back in 2016 due to her own negligence caused him brain damage for which he is suing for 300 grand and she is countersuing for a dollar. So she's in court at the moment and you can see clips and stuff like that. It seems... I know, I was trying to read the summary of the case and, and it, it seems a bit unclear who's at, who's at fault here and it really does feel like a case that might not happen in Ireland is kind of more of a real sort of uh, claim culture over yeah. the US um, sort of case here. It's hard to know, you know, is Gwyneth at fault here? He's claiming that she was looking at the scenery and not looking ahead of her. Therefore, she was negligent. Her lawyers are saying, oh, well, actually, he suffered some temporary sight loss after he had a stroke a few years ago maybe it's his fault it's difficult to know it's kind of unpleasant isn't it like i think i my instinct uh, having literally never skied would be (laughs) if you ski this is a possibility yeah like it's a dangerous sport potentially yeah and you know i wouldn't be bringing anybody to court no and also like you know it's a dangerous sport and you have insurance and you know that's a shame someone for not having insurance but you know like i imagine this guy is in this position, I'm sure, you know, we know how expensive medical bills are in the US. Like, I feel sorry for him if he has yeah. had some damage. Um, again, I'm not a doctor. I can't, uh, you know, brain damage after one collision, maybe. I'm not sure. But it does sound like, you know, because he knew that the woman who hit it to him was yeah. rich. You can't help but feel a question if that's if that's part a, a of it. motive here. Yeah, exactly. Because there was a previous case for 3.1 million that was thrown out. So now he's back with 300k. So Yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah. I mean, flip, look, brain damage, but brain like, damage. obviously full sympathy we can agree. with uh, Mr. Sanderson. <laughs> but, yeah. you know. Um, I feel bad. However, the more interesting, as far as I'm concerned, mm. God, that's terrible to be like, more interesting than this man's brain damage. I don't, that's not what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, more interesting in terms of discussion uh, is what Gwyneth Paltrow revealed on a podcast recently about her diet. Yeah, so was this an attempt to look over there from the court case? Who knows? But basically, she was speaking to her doctor for a podcast, um, 
and was discussing her diet of basically not eating much bar bone broth and vegetables mm-hmm. um to which uh, the internet has accused her of sort of appropriating diet culture and eating disorders as health mm. i'm gonna i'm gonna just play the clip here sure so that people can hear because it's quite stark when you listen to her actually describe it what's your wellness routine look like now i eat dinner early in the evening i do a nice intermittent fast i usually eat something about 12 Mm-hmm. Um, and in the morning, I'll have some things that won't spike my blood sugar, right? So I, I have coffee, but I really like soup for lunch. Um, I have bone broth for lunch a lot of the days. Try to do one hour of movement. So I'll either take a walk or I'll do Pilates or I'll do my Tracy Anderson. And then I get in the sauna. I dry brush and I get in the sauna. So I do my infrared sauna for 30 minutes. And then for dinner, I try to eat, you know, according to paleo. So lots of vegetables. It's really important for me to support my detox. So yeah, people are saying this is not a healthy amount to eat. Let's be real. Yeah, so she then subsequently, after the backlash, came out to be like, obviously I eat more than just vegetables, guys. So I'm wondering, like, (laughs) is it that thing that, you know, when you get asked by your doctor how many units of alcohol do you drink a week and you don't want to say 10 <laughs> you say four was she caught lying to her doctor was she caught you know lying about her habits to try and make herself look more of a health guru mm. it's difficult but certainly the diets that she seems to be perpetuating don't sound healthy i mean the thing about it is is that like is anyone surprised like you know with everything that we know about gwyneth and everything yeah. we know about like hollywood and kind of historically the attitudes towards diet and exercise and bodies and all the rest like is it that surprising like gwyneth is an extremely thin woman mm-hmm. always has been you don't for the most part, remain extremely thin without having an extreme lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the reality of it. Um, so, I, you know, I I kind of think the Ferrari is... I mean, in, in one way, it's deserved because, of course, this kind of thing does feed into normal people's mm-hmm. thoughts about their diet and their bodies. Um, but at the same time, we also have to have a bit of critical thinking, you know, yeah. and kind of question this stuff and accept that, you know, fine, Gwyneth can sit there with an like literally an IV pumping vitamins and nutrients into her so that she doesn't have to eat more than what she's describing. But that's mm-hmm. not something that most people are doing or are able to do yeah, or should do. Too. And also say, what is bone broth? I think it's just stock. Okay. Like You just t- take a chicken carcass and stick it in the pan. Pretty pot. much, yeah. My husband has been on one about this for years because the Hemsley sisters, okay. um, is that what they're called? And um, there are these cook type people I don't know are they chefs um but they had went through this phase of being like super super popular and their whole thing was bone broth and it's so good for you and Gordon was always like it's stuck it's just stuck it drove him demented but yeah I I I I can't see any difference happy by the way to hear from you if you are a bone broth fan and you feel that there's a lot more to it than stock please do let us know Send us a text, send us a voice note, voice note, excuse me, to the catch up phone, which is, of course, 089 209 6423. I'm looking forward to the bone broth stands in wait. the voice messages. Genuinely, like, I, I want to, I would love to be convinced, um, but yeah. I'm not currently. Yeah. Anyway. So you'll be promoting your own line, Louise McSherry's line of bone broth. <laughs> like, truly, can you think of anything more off brand for me? than me releasing a line of bone broth. 
<laughs> It'd be like edible glitter in it and stuff. It'd be nice. Bone <laughs> broth, edible glitter. <laughs> Biodegradable uh, edible bio, yeah, glitter. So yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want those micro beads. <laughs> oh, yes. Can't wait. Can't wait. I mean, look, I, anything to make a book. Um, okay. So anyway, Gwyneth, just, you know, maybe we don't listen to Gwyneth for diet advice. That would no. be my recommendation. Um, next up, let's talk about Maria McCallaghan ruling herself out of the Late Late Show running this week, which um, was, I think, fair enough for her to do, but then also resulted in lots of amusing uh, kind of other people ruling themselves out of the Late Late yeah. Show. <laughs> who, people who perhaps had never been in the running. Uh, yes, Miriam O'Callaghan, who kind of was odds on favourite at the start of this conversation, pretty much this time last week, to be um, the replacement, has kind of taken to Twitter in a statement. Shall I read the whole statement out? I have it here. Go for it. Uh, she said, The Late Late Show is an incredible programme. It's not just the jewel of in the crown of Irish broadcasting. It's also an institution stitched into the fabric of Irish life. Ryan has done a superb job presenting it for the last 14 years. Now, I know that's in a slightly different coloured font, mm. which makes me sound like she went back in and out of that after she wrote the rest of it. <laughs> Although the speculation about me being... <laughs> One of the favourites to take over the Late Late Show is very flattering. That won't be happening as I'm not throwing my hat in the ring to be considered. I love what I do too much on prime time to leave it. And what we do in current affairs as a team really matters and can actually change lives. It's true. It's what I love doing most of all as a broadcast journalist. And I'm not prepared to give that up for any show. Just this week, for instance, I am in New York interviewing Bill and Hillary Clinton to mark the 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement, which brought peace to our shared island. It may be an imperfect peace, but the horrific violence of the past is gone. These are the kind of interviews and stories that matter to me. And I'm like, get on, back on topic now, Miriam. <laughs> Interestingly, last night I found a letter I wrote 14 years ago. The time, the last time I hosted the Late Late Show was up for grabs. In it, I told management that I was withdrawing my name from the ring on that occasion too, saying I no longer want to be considered for the job if I had to leave prime time and the position 14 years on remains exactly, my position remains exactly the same. I've been lucky enough to present the iconic Late Late Show twice and I love the experience. I wish whoever does the job all the best. It's a brilliant opportunity and very exciting. I also wish my heartiest congratulations and advance to whoever gets it. What a joyous role. Enjoy. Yeah, I think she was dead right because yeah. it's very hard, I think, or it must be very hard. It's, I mean, I will, there have been one or two people who've mentioned my name in relation to it, which <laughs> has given me such a laugh. Can you imagine what a turnaround? <laughs> what a turnaround that would be. And the host of the Late Late Show is Louise McSharry. Wait a minute. We Everybody be like, though. what? <laughs> yeah, we love a comeback story. But anyway, I think it, it must be difficult to have your name at the center of a conversation, which is ostensibly going to go on for months because yeah. they're not going to announce it until the summer yeah. and especially if you don't even want it you know if you don't feel like it's a good fit for you like you don't want to be part of that speculation and then in the end potentially look like you you've like lost a fight that you never wanted sure. to be in you know yeah. exactly and also like I imagine they want someone who's going to be at the helm for the next 10 plus years and that she might be feeling that she's committing to something, you know, that far when she might have plans to retire, etc. Et I also think she really does love primetime. Like, yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I absolutely adore Mary Callahan. I mm -hmm. have spent time with her. I personally have a real and genuine love for her, mm -hmm. which is perhaps inappropriate. Um, so I'm always going to be team Miriam. But I, you know, I just genuinely think she doesn't want it. Like, I know she does really love primetime. Um, yeah. And she loves, exactly as she mentions, she loves those kind of things, getting to go and do those kind of interviews. Yeah. You know, traveling. She made a documentary um, last year or the year before and went to Selma and, you know, in Alabama mm -hmm. and stuff. And 
she loves that kind of that kind of thing really getting into the nitty-gritty yeah. of a story and you're not going to get to do that on the late late show no absolutely so i think fair play to her absolutely so it seems I, i'm still rooting for my girl angela scanlon to take really? it i would love her I, there's something there's something about her that that ticks that little gay icon box i'm just compelled towards her i'd love to yeah, see her do it i love angela but i just think we need i mean it depends on what they're going to do with the show i think if they keep the show the same um they you know it has to be someone who's got a bit more of more more of a journalistic background mm. you know because is angela going to be able to like do a serious panel on the good friday agreement I'm sure she could. I mean, look, I think she'd give it a good go. Yeah. Like, you know, this is no disrespect to Angela, mm. but it's just not her background. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll we see. shall see. We'll I don't see. have a favorite. I don't, there's no one in particular that I, that I want or think will. Well, one person who's shooting up in the odds, it ties into our next story, is Carl Mullen. He's ready to one now, apparently, after his win at Dante with the Stars. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I know Carl personally and I love him, but I am shocked by that. So I'm expecting the Carl Mullen taking his head out of the ring to eat anytime soon. <laughs> oh, I mean, it would be a lovely program. Would, like, yeah. no doubt about it. It would be lovely. Um, okay, well, let, look, let's talk about Dancing with the Stars since yeah. we brought it up now. Um, Carl Mullen of 2FM, my former colleague, and I have to say, absolutely lovely person, really and truly lovely, gorgeous man, won Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, him and his partner, Emily Barker, took home the win. Um, people... Some people were disappointed because they were he wasn't considered the best dancer. Yeah. It's almost like the show is a popularity contest, not a dance contest. <laughs> yes, it's almost like that. <laughs> almost as if. But I was glad to see Carl win. <clears throat> I didn't get to <clears throat> follow the full show this week or this year. Um and I thought the lineup was great. I excited at watching it, but I just could not contend with the RT player to to follow up on it. Fair. But I was glad to see Carl win because I kind of feel he was in that position where he it was kind of dealt with that he needed to be given bigger personalities alongside him on the radio to kind yeah. of get listeners in. I think it's great to see that he has shown that he's charismatic and like yeah. enough that he can hold his own audience. Well, I think the thing about Carl, um, <clears throat> sorry, we both obviously have frogs in our throat. Yeah. Um, the thing about Carl is that Carl worked so hard. Like Carl was working. I hope I'm not like telling stories out of school. I don't think he'd mind me saying this. Carl was working in 2FM the whole time that I was working in 2FM. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for most of those years, he was working behind the scenes and working really hard and taking every possible opportunity and making it known that he was there and he wanted to work. Um, and then he started building a profile outside of the station for himself with his videos on mm -hmm. his Instagram. And he really has created, you know, the career that he wanted. He wasn't maybe getting, I mean, I'm speaking, I don't, he hasn't said this to me, but I mean, from an outside perspective, like it didn't look like he was getting the opportunities he really wanted and, yeah. and he started creating them for himself. And I just have so much admiration for that. Mm -hmm. Like, and despite the fact that he, you know, it took a, a while for him to get to where he wanted to be. He never complained. He never had an attitude about it, which is more than I can say for myself. So like, you know, he really is a, just a total gem and it's great to see him. Yeah. Doing things on his own, you know, carving out a space for himself exactly. and he deserves it. You know, and, and, now and that's no shade on show. Brooke Scullion, who I gather was an absolutely unbelievable yeah. dancer. I didn't watch it. So like it's, uh, you know, but I, but at the end of the day, it is a popularity contest. Like yeah. we know this every single year. It's like this. And fair play to him for beating, mm. you know, literal influencer and, you know, um, popularity contest winner Suzanne Jackson. You Absolutely. know, I thought she would have taken home. But yeah. yeah, fair play to him. Yeah. So the future of Dancing with the Stars is 
you know, question mark? We're not sure. We, it hasn't been renewed for a new season. It's uh, everyone who's part of the show is very keen to do it again. The ratings seem to be good. Uh, the final drew in an audience of 471,000 with 386,000 streams. I'm not sure how comparable that is for some of their other big shows. But like... It's strong. Like, it's like... It's, the guts of a million seems to be a lot like... Yeah, know? it's about a 40%. They said that the, the last show had about a 40% share, which is really strong. Yeah. Um, but the problem is it's expensive. Yeah, it's a very expensive to make. I don't know where I heard this rumour. So it could be... It could have came to me in a dream and therefore not be true. I heard a rumour that they want to do The Masked Singer instead. Oh... Would that be cheaper? Probably would be cheaper. I mean, you don't have to pay for the dancers as mm, much. You just pay mm-hmm. for the cast. You don't have to do it live. Yeah. So there's an element of that that you can, you know, you have a comfort element of comfort in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just love the parochial nature of Irish celebrity in The Masked Singer. I think I think it would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it, the reason kind of that I wanted to talk about this is because it just shows what a kind of precarious position TV is in mm. in general. Because once upon a time, I think a show that had this kind of audience share would have been able to absolutely sustain a high budget but like because you know 40% of an audience today is not 40% of an audience 30 years ago Mm -hmm. because it's significantly less people because less people are watching TV Mm -hmm. you know there's just not as many eyeballs and therefore not as much you know money in advertising Um, so it's it's really hard to make a big budget program like that in Ireland where we're talking about a relatively small number of people yeah yeah so you know it's going to be interesting to see what TV has to do to kind of pivot and make things work. That's interesting, the the mass singer. Well, apparently, yeah, apparently it's a big hit with advertisers and families and stuff like that. So there definitely is an appetite, but I guess it's just a cost benefit analysis they yeah. have to do. Which, yeah. well, which is always so callous to hear art being brought down to a cost benefit analysis. Honestly, but that's life. That's that's the biz. That's life. It sure is. Um, so succession. Speak, speaking of business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> succession uh, season four airs this week and um it is season four is it yeah yeah season four sorry suddenly i was like am i is it? <laughs> um season four starts airing this week which is obviously very exciting for anybody who loves succession which is absolutely me mm-hmm. um i feel like i've literally just been waiting for this since the last episode of season three aired um and they had a big premiere in new york and brian cox was really acting the maggot he was yeah brian cox who plays logan roy in the season uh got into character and gave the paparazzi a taste of his formidable character while shouting at them uh, in character. So yeah, the paparazzi were asking him and all the cast to move to the right for the photo. So he shouted at them for them to move to the left so that he could photograph them. And it's just fun to see, you know, um, him take on this character. Because obviously Logan Roy is terrifying. Man. Yeah. You would not want to cross him. No. And what's so brilliant about Logan, or who do we need to explain who your primer for the show if people haven't watched it? No, Logan Roy is the head of a family the like Murdoch. the Murdochs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he's he's very scary, but then he also can be like so soft and loving at times, which makes him even more scary. scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the full brunt of his formidable side as we saw him roar across the red carpet, but it was all in jest. He was just, you know, giving, giving people a show. So yeah. I'm excited for the season to come back. This is going to be the final season. Um, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to know who's going to end up with, with Royco Enterprise. It's it's kind of the biggest prestige drama on TV, would you say? It's definitely taken yeah. over from Game of Thrones. Yeah, 100%. I think it's number one. And, um, you know, lots of people will be really sad to see it go. But I think it probably is good that they've decided to end it with this season. <clears throat> yeah. You know, because it's always disappointing when you love a program. And then even though you want more, sometimes it can kind of mm, trail Game of off. Um, who do yeah. you want to be at the helm? Roman, probably. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, even though yeah probably roman 
I wouldn't mind a, like a Roman Shiv. Um, oh my God. Why is Jeremy Strong's character's name gone Kendall? out of my head? Kendall. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if the three of them kind of, yeah. yeah. And they actually managed to just be like work together. Mm. But I don't know. Yeah, probably Roman if I had to pick one. Yeah, I used to want Shiv. And then now I think I'm leaning towards Roman. I also I find Karen times... Culkin very attractive. I don't know what it is about him. I just find so compelling. Yeah. No, I mean, not for me. Okay. But, you know, to each his own. <laughs> But I do love Roman. Like, yeah. I love him. But I also do have a softness for Kendall. Poor Kendall. Like, know, at times poor. I've just been like, just give it to what him. What a tragic figure. Truly, one of the most tragic figures. Um, Tom or Uncle Greg? No, neither of them? No, as no. much as I love Tom um, and Greg as characters, no. Uh, oh, and talk about tragic Connor as well. What a hapless man. Oh, no. Connor, please go and live in the desert. Like, <laughs> go, no. Go, I'm finished Go to you. your theater production. Um, before we finish up, let's do a little pop corner because yes. some interesting news this week uh, from Madonna and Taylor Swift's tour launched. Yeah. yeah. So, Taylor Swift, uh, uh, her Eras tour started on uh, in Arizona last week. Uh, she is doing a seemingly unprecedented 44 songs over three hours and 15 minutes. So to compare, Beyonce's Coachella set was about 34 songs. It's huge. Yeah, and Bruce Springsteen, who's known for doing a long performance, does 20-odd songs. So this is really a huge undertaking. There are 21 outfit changes from Versace to Oscar de la Renta. She um, is basically doing more or less all of her 10 albums. Uh, She's kind of snubbed two of them, Speak Now and and Taylor Swift, the, the debut. Fans are speculating, as they are wont to do, uh, on her shows, she wore a T-shirt that says "Who's Taylor Swift anyway?" Ooh, and the ooh is in red letters, and then another one that says "A lot going on at the moment," and a lot is in red letters. And people think that over the course of the concerts, she will wear letters in red that will spell out "Speak Now," Taylor's version, announcing her next re-recording. Oh my god, she's something else. Isn't Get she? her to do the crosswords in the Irish Times. Like, honestly, honestly, her brain—it's like—and the thing is, she pro- that probably is it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that probably is. She's like, she's uh, uh, truly, truly the way she works. It's something else. If you're not familiar with Taylor Swift and her like Easter eggs and like yeah. hidden clues for fans, Google it because this is the stuff that she does all the time. And yeah. I don't know where she gets the energy, I frankly. Don't know. I don't know. Um, and and then, then Madonna. Yes, Madonna <laughs> posted uh, to Twitter this week to announce that she is in the studio with Max Martin. When in doubt, go to work. Nothing shuts down the noise and the naysayers more than being in the creative process. And there's a picture of Madonna and Max scribbling away on pieces of paper beside each other, not looking at each other. So I'm not sure how well they're getting on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's exciting news. Yeah. Is this new music? It, what, what's, we don't know. We know. Well, I personally think Madonna works best when she works with one producer or one or two producers yeah, like yeah, yeah. William, William Morbitt or Shep yeah. Pettibone, those mm-hmm. people. So a Madonna Max Martin universe is yeah. somewhere at Happy Louie. And just for anyone who doesn't know, Max Martin, you know a million of his songs. Yeah. Um, he's Baby, Baby One, One More Time. Time, I Want It That Way, That's The Way It Is, Celine Dion, It's Gonna Be Me, In Sync, Katy Perry, I Kissed A Girl, Roar, Taylor Swift, Shake It Off, uh, The Weeknd's Blinding yeah. Lights, Save Your Tears, like just like absolutely enormous pop hits. So very exciting uh, to think that there, we could be getting another era of Madonna actually having good songs in the charts. Absolutely. And, and uh, 80s synth pop is back, baby. So, you know, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Let's I'm ready, back. Madonna. Okay, well, thank you so much, Kian. No problem. Thank Where you can people much. find you? Yeah, so you can find out Sissy That Pod on Instagram at Sissy That Pod or wherever you get catch up. And yeah, just find me over there. Plug in my wares. Have a lovely week. <laughs>
it is time for me to go now but thank you so much once again for joining me this week I so appreciate it don't forget if you want to get extra episodes join the Patreon it's patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise Makshari uh, there was a mailbag episode as I've said at the start that went up this week and then the week after next there'll be a new cultural reflection episode I think I know what we're going to be watching and talking about but I need to confirm access mm, mysterious um, but I'll know for sure next week so that you can get on board um, ahead of the new episode um, so yeah before I go recommendations I don't have a lot I finished next in fashion which I just massively enjoyed I know I mentioned it last week I'm just gonna say it again in case it went out of your head it's so enjoyable I did a big clean of my um, bedroom this week and I had it on in the background and it was just the perfect company um, and that's on Netflix and then I also have finally started into Jay-Z Jay-Z Daisy Jones and the Six um, on Amazon Prime, which isn't like, I mean, in my opinion, it's not like mind-blowingly good, but it's quite, it's pleasant watching. And the music in it is really good. I have been listening to some of the music in the car and stuff. So I think it's worth it. If you, it's just kind of nice to be in that kind of rock and roll era, I guess. It's a series based on the book by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And it's, it's set in, it's kind of about Fleetwood Mac. It's not about Fleetwood Mac, but it's about a very similar kind of band and time period and sound to Fleetwood Mac. Um, and it's just nice to be in that kind of time frame and look at that fashion and that style. Some great hair. Very enjoyable. And that, as I said, is on Amazon Prime. Now that I'm going to go, uh, I will talk to you at the end of the week. Um, you know where I am in the meantime. I'm Louise Makshari and all the social medias. Thank you very much to all of my wonderful contributors. Thank you so much to ACAST for having me on the network. And I hope you have a lovely week. But as I always say, if it can't be good, which they can't all be, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I will talk to you next Friday. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.